You know, it's so nice to be back here again, and uh, it's so nice to be in a congregation that sings. You know, I mean, not just the choir, but all of you, you know. It's one of the nice things about being able to be up in front here, you know. <laughs> it's all of you. It's not just her, but I imagine she has something to do with it. <laughs> Anyway, I'm very happy to be back here. Um, as you know, today's topic is change, and I, I, I don't know any of the details about what's happening here, except that I do know that there are some changes happening here. And, and it's a tough thing, you know. It, it, it's a big deal to go through change. Amanda mentioned I'm the, I'm the uh, district executive for the Pacific Central District. It's not nearly as exciting as it sounds, let me tell you. Uh, not as glamorous, anyway. It's very exciting. But so I, I, I work in, in, the, in Northern California, Northern Nevada, and Hawaii for the UUA, and we have 38 congregations, and 13 of them, yes, do the math, that's more than a third, are going through ministerial transitions right now. So ministers are just leaving or just arriving or they're in the middle of an interim period. I mean, it's a lot of upheaval, and that doesn't count the religious educators and the congregational leaders who are elected every year. I mean, there's a lot of change happening all the time, and of course... In the, in the world of, of, of liberal religion, matter of fact, in all, in all both in the ethical culture, but also in, in the world of, of, of liberal Christianity, too, there's just a lot of ferment happening right now. It's, it's, it's a difficult time to figure out what do the advances in technology and the changes in social structure have to do with all of us? How are we going to kind of navigate all of this? It's a very tricky time, and, and it can be really hard. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it doesn't have to be as dramatic as losing a beloved religious leader, for example, or, God forbid, you know, somebody getting ill or, or dying. I know this congregation. I was just meeting with their board last week. They, uh, this is a really nice congregation, very warm, very solid. They've been there for a long time. They're very supportive of each other. They almost disintegrated when the worship committee decided to move the position of announcements to a different place in the order of service. I mean, they laugh about it now, but it was not funny at the time. I mean, it really, people were, their veins were bulging out. I mean, I mean, it's really true. Change can, you know, can do it to you. You know, it can really take you unawares. You can think that you're as, as rational and as, as grown up as, as, as anybody, and then something happens that hits you in the wrong way. And wow, well, you know where it takes you. So I guess the question is, like, so what, you know, here I am, what, what, what wisdom can I offer you, you know, what can I tell you how to work through this time of change here? Is there some sort of magic ethical wisdom I can give you that's going to make it all better and to make you all uh, able to change with the times? Probably not, you know. I know, it's unfortunate. <laughs> what can I say? Just trying to be honest, you know. But, you know, there are other people out there in the world far wiser than me who have had uh, their wisdom written down uh, in electrons on the web, you know, that you can look at and, you can, and you, can, um, you can get some inspiration from. I actually like looking up quotes, you know, quotes. The combination of the pithy saying and the person who said it can often be very powerful. There's one uh, that I actually used here when I was here for a platform a couple years ago. It's about, about authenticity. Honesty and fair dealing are key in life. If you can fake that, you've got it made. Groucho Marx. I love that, you know. Or, you know, when you have to make choices. From Mae West. If I had to choose between two evils, I always pick the one I haven't tried yet. 
very inspirational, you know? I mean, get you going. So, so I went out to the web and I looked up some quotes on change to see if they might be helpful for you today. So here's one I found. The first one that comes up in all the search engines from the Greek philosopher, uh, Greek philosopher uh, Heraclitus, or Heraclitus. There is nothing permanent except change. There is nothing permanent except change. I'm feeling for the inspiration here. <laughs> nope. <laughs> you know, that one is just incredibly unsatisfying, I have to say. You know, I understand change is inevitable and it's always happening. And besides, you know, like, you know, death and, and taxes and those flashing lights you all now have on your intersections here in D.C., it's, you know, it's, it's inevitable as those things. It's the one thing you can count on, you know. But when you're in a, in a time of need, there is nothing permanent except change doesn't cut it. You know, it doesn't really have that depth of feeling that we're going to need. So I found another one. This one is attributed to uh, Lao Tzu in the Book of Changes, right? Tao Te Ching. Life is a series of natural and spontaneous changes. Don't resist them. That only creates sorrow. Let reality be reality. Let things flow naturally forward in whatever way they like. Now, this is undoubtedly a great piece of advice. You know, don't resist. Let reality be reality. But come on, you know, it's not that easy. <laughs> you know, I mean, how can we not resist something that we don't like? You know, it's, it's human to want things to be predictable, to have things be the same. You know, don't we want to cling to the, profe- to the precious and the familiar? I mean, I do. And, and aren't we, most of us anyway, most of us are probably Americans, you know, where we have this culture, strive boldly forward, shape the future, take hold, you know. I think that letting things flow is probably great, great advice, but I don't know that it's realistic or helpful in this particular moment because it's so normal not to want to change. And yet, of course, it is what life demands of us. So here's another one. Uh, Hugh Prather, you, some of you may know as an author. Just when I think I have learned the way to live, life changes. Yep. Yep, that's it. I, that's exactly it. It's like the ground's always shifting under our feet, you know. Or Frank Zappa. One of my favorite philosophical tenets, he says, is that people who will agree with you only if they already agree with you. <laughs> you do not change people's minds. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. You know, change, as ubiquitous as it is, in some ways is not a natural thing. But here is one that I think actually is very helpful. Carl Rogers, humanistic psychologist, he said this, The curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. Now, that gives us something to start with. You know, he's saying that if we want to change something in ourselves, like like our resistance to change, you know, we can't just wish it away or hate it or sort of exorcise it, you know, or, or, or inspire ourselves out of it, we first, we have to accept it. So I was thinking that, you know, maybe instead of trying to inspire ourselves out of our resistance to change, we should do the opposite today. You know, maybe we, to help us really work with change, we should first accept completely and love completely our resistance to change. You know, we can embrace our desire for everything to be the same. So in that spirit, I would like to offer you a postmodern, free-verse poem that I call 50 Reasons Not to Change, with occasional commentary by yours truly. And so we'll see how it goes. One, it takes a lot of energy. Two, things are fine the way they are. 
Three, we've tried that. Four, it'll take too long. Five, someone's feelings are going to get hurt. Six, it's just a fad. Seven, it's unsustainable. Eight, it's blind idealism. Nine, it's nothing less than socialism. Ten, it's the beginning of communism. Okay, wait. I'm going to dial it back for a minute. I don't want to peak too early here, okay? But really, I mean, you know, doesn't it feel that way sometimes? Who was it the, the, um, the proponent of permanent revolution, I think, was Trotsky, right? And, and ironically, our advanced capitalist society is fixated, it's kind of a Trotskyist ideal of endless change, right? I mean, what is the fascination with change? Change doesn't always mean better. I mean, look at Windows 8. Right? right? Look at airline baggage fees. Look at genetically modified tomatoes, right? Yes, new, changed, yes, but better? I don't know. So it's not always progress. All right, let's focus down on the religious context here, the humanistic religious context. Number 11, if we're going to change this, we're going to lose all of our principles. 12, if we change this, we're going to lose members. 13, if we change this, we will no longer know who we are. 14, if we change this, we'll betray everything we stand for. 15, if we change this, the world as we know it will come to an end. (laughs) Now, lest you think I'm hyping this a little bit too much, I mean, this is actually literally true. It's not the world will come to an end, but the world as we know it does come to an end. You know, your RE program, it's not going to be the same after today. That's just a fact. You know, when I left my teaching job out there in Meadville, Pennsylvania, and went out to California to work for the UUA, my world ended in a very real way. Now, it's true, a new one was created, and that's been interesting. It's been an adventure. But there's no denying the loss. It's real. Now, what it means, that's a different thing. We'll get to that. But we have to accept that it's really a loss. Now, I don't want to make it seem more dramatic, though, than it really is. I mean, sometimes it's not about the end of the world as we know it. It's about something much deeper. My own tightly rooted, deeply held preferences. (laughs) Number 16, because I like normal-tasting ketchup. (laughs) Number 17, Netflix was better before you had to pay separately for discs and for streaming. Number 18, if my tea isn't steeped for four minutes exactly and has the right amount of lemon and sugar, there's no point in drinking it anyway. Number 19, because this, my planner, doesn't ever run out of batteries and it doesn't crash and it doesn't get erased by a magnet detector. Number 20, I will not eat that tarantula even if you say the seasonings are perfect. I mean, I'll explain this a little bit. I mean, have you ever had ketchup in England, any of you? If you have, you know what I'm talking about, you know? Or popcorn with soy sauce? I've got friends who eat it that way. Ugh, right? Or, 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 or chili in chocolate. I know some people like it, you know? Or caffeine in beer. I'm sorry. I'm a purist. I don't like any of those things. I mean, why, if I know what I like, should I try anything different? Right? This is what I like. Right? Now, I, did, I do admit I actually did eat the tarantula, and it was good. It's another story, yes. Okay, back to business, right? Why not change? Number 21, because these things, these new things go against my principles. 22, because I don't know what will happen. 23, because if I don't have this, who will I be? 24, what if I can't live with the new, the new way of things? 25, what if I look stupid? I didn't exactly expect it to come out like that. 
I mean, have you ever been like in a, in a foreign country or in a, just like a different family, you know, where you don't know the rules and you do something that seems totally natural and normal and then everybody looks at you, you know, like you're an idiot or something? I hate that. I hate feeling embarrassed, you know. I hate feeling like I don't know the rules or I'm out of my depth, you know. I don't like adjusting to things that are unfamiliar sometimes. I mean, wouldn't you want to avoid that if you could? I mean, it reminds me of, uh, of the Soviet Union. Remember the Soviet Union? Right? Big country, you know. When I was in college back in the day, uh, I used to travel to the Soviet Union in college and afterwards I was a Russian major and I used to work over there uh, in some U.S.-Soviet joint ventures and such. And then eventually the wall came down and the Soviet Union fell apart and Soviet Russia became just, just Russia. Now I understand that the fall of communism was good for some people. But for me personally, it was a bummer. Because I knew the rules over there. I knew who to talk to. I knew who could get things done. You know, now there's people are walking around, and, and I don't know who they belong to or who's in charge of what or who I have to bribe to get what done. I mean, this is a bummer. I don't think it's too much to ask for the world not to go through geopolitical changes so that it can meet my convenience, don't you? I mean, really, who wants to learn new rules at my age, right? Who wants to take the energy to figure out new strategies? This is a rant, remember? More to the point, who wants to risk not knowing what's going on? Looking dumb. So how can we respond to change? Here's some possibilities. Number 26, I don't want to. Number 27, I don't have to. Number 28, go ahead and try. Number 29, I get to decide my future. Number 30, you can't make me, you can't make me, you can't make me, you can't make me, you can't make me. Not only that, but number 31, I'll go limp. My, my kids taught me this one. It's really effective. <laughs> Number 32, I'll fight back. I, they did that too. Number 33, I'll do an intentional slowdown. <laughs> Number 34, nothing will get done. Number 35, they'll see. And that's only the beginning of my armamentarium of resistance. Now, you know this. We humans, we are incredibly inventive, you know, at not doing something when we don't want to do it. You know, we'll, we'll say, oh, yeah, that's fine. Yep, definitely. You know, and then we, we know how to not follow up or drop the ball or tell one person yes and another person no and a hundred varieties of kind of undermining the change that's supposed to be taking place. It works pretty well. And I know a guy, actually, who works for the UUA like me in a position similar to mine, and you don't really know, need to know, or probably even care about the big reorganizations that are happening, happening in the UUA right now. And he says about this, absolutely, man, I am totally behind it, so long as everybody understands that nothing in the way I do my job will ever change. <laughs> and, you know, you've got to admire that, right? He's really upfront about it. I hope that if I am ever in the position of impeding some serious change, that I can stand up and say so. <laughs> the real bummer, though, is when there's no, there's no them you know, to rail against, and no way to stop whatever's happening from happening. You know, I've had two people in the last week refer to me as a middle-aged white guy. Now, I recognize that this is true. (laughs) I still don't like hearing it, you know. I mean, I could try to resist the aging thing, I suppose, if I had a lot of money and a lot of time, you know, to try to make it look like I'm not as old as I am, like like Sandra Bullock, who is not that much younger than I am, and she looks great. I mean... (laughs) You know, but I, even if I did that, it still wouldn't change how it feels on the inside, because <laughs> I am how old I am, 
right? There's no one to blame. There's no one to rail against. It just is. And even worse, I mean, what about when someone gets sick, you know, or God forbid they die? You know, that's, that's horrible. You know, every kind of resistance I can think of to put up to that falls on deaf ears. There's, there's no one to blame. Number 36, but I'm going to miss her so much. Number 37, how will I live without seeing his friendly face every day? Number 38, I, I feel like there's a big hole in my life now. Number 39, it's just not fair. Number 40, Okay, I need a little bit of inspiration here to get my rant, my rant back on track here. Let me look back at my quotes. All right, here's one. Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. Tolstoy. Speaking of change, if Tolstoy were living now, you know, he'd say themselves, right? presumably. <laughs> but, but yes, right? Precisely, right? I mean, why should I change in order just to make the rest of the world run more efficiently and easily. I mean, let the world reorganize itself around me. That's what I say. I'm channeling my favorite philosopher here, Calvin, from Calvin and Hobbes. I was at jury duty the other week, and there's this guy, and he was up there, he was being questioned by the judge about his suitability for being on the jury. You know how this goes if you've done jury duty. And uh, the man said, I'm sorry, I, I can't in good conscience vote to convict someone of a crime unless I know what the sentence is going to be first. And the judge said, well, you know, I understand that, but that's, for this kind of, it was a burglary case, for this kind of crime, it doesn't work like that. The jury renders the verdict, then I do the sentencing. And the guy said, nonetheless, no matter what the evidence, I could never vote to convict if I didn't know what the sentence was. And the judge said, you're excused. <laughs> now, I have to say, there was some irritation in the room. About, this took a long time. And the irritation in the room about this guy because he was just not ready to play by the rules. And I have to say, I shared that irritation. But on the other hand, you've got to admire him, in a way, for kind of following his conscience and refusing to stand up you know, and, and, and play by the rules of the system. I think I have to admire that. I'm not sure. Which reminds me, number 41, I know best. Number 42, everyone else has their own agendas and gets carried away by the moment. But I am driven entirely by principles <laughs> and values and knowledge and expertise. Number 44, if I don't know best, well, then I have to trust. Number 45, trust is hard. I need to elaborate on that last one just a little bit. And the real question that's underlying it here is, you know, do I know how things are going to turn out, you know, or how they would be best? Now, if you ask me what to do about global warming or how best to do recycling or how to do staff transitions in congregations, yes, I will answer that I have some good, good ideas about that. But the problem is that, you know, sometimes the thing that is bad ends up having a good outcome, right, or vice versa. And that's very frustrating. So I'm sure this has happened to you, too. Once I was up for this job, I was teaching at this college. I'd been there teaching for two and a half years as a contract person. It was my very first teaching job. 
and uh, they decided to make my position tenure track, and they did a search for it, and they hired somebody else. It was insulting, it was unjust, it was horrible. And in hindsight, 20 years of hindsight, it was such a blessing. Because <laughs> if I had stayed there, I would be in teaching in this place that is on the eastern edge of nowhere that has subsequently run into horrible problems and nearly closed. So, thank God, <laughs> they didn't give me that job. But I didn't know that at the time. I mean, how could I know? You know, that's really frustrating. Nobody knows what's really good change and what's bad change. I mean, you know, we can guess, but our predictions don't always come true. And I think that's the point of that, that really, it's a very popular and famous Rumi poem you may have heard um, called The Guest House. I really love it. It's, uh, Coleman Barks is the one who translated it, and I'll, I'll read it for you. The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing. Invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Of course, this is, this is perilously close to some of the quotes that I'm supposed to be railing against right now. Like this one from uh, spiritual teacher Eckhart Tolle. Some changes look negative on the surface, but you'll soon realize that space is being created in your life for something new to change. Or this one from C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers. It may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird, but it would be a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. (laughs) We must be hatched or go bad. You know, I can can see it. I, I see the wisdom in these quotes. More than that, I can actually feel it. Uh, you know, change can sometimes bring new energy, even if it's an unwanted one. I'm, I'm working with a couple of congregations right now in, in California who, who are just ending 18-year ministries, you know. And, and the ministries have gone very well, and they dearly love their ministers, and the ministers dearly love them, uh, and yet it's time. So, you know, there's this kind of grief at the parting that's happening, but I can already see it in their eyes. I can see it in the congregation when I meet with them, how the newness is happening, how they're able to step back from themselves and their church life and look at it for a moment and say, oh, we thought that this was just the way church is. But in fact, it was a pattern that got set up around the personality of that particular minister. It was great at the time. And now there's an opportunity for something new. So I can see that. I can see that, you know. And just like Rumi and Tolly are saying, new energy can come from change, even if it's unwelcome. But... I mean, even though I really appreciate that wisdom, I do, I think there's still a way in which that is holding us back a bit. I was, I was sitting in a restaurant just a few days ago with a couple of friends in Meadville, Pennsylvania, and I was talking about this platform. I was saying that I was coming out here and I was going to do this thing on change, and, and one of my friends, she, she looks at the two of us and she says, oh, yeah, well, change is change. 
and we, we looked at each other, we looked at her, and we said, dude, that's deep, you know. And she was a good sport about us, teasing her about it. But, you know, as I think about it, she was actually on to something. Because, you know, one of the things is that because change brings such difficult feelings to us and it brings grief and it brings loss and brings uncertainty and fear, we have this tendency to try to make sense of it or try to, uh, to make it palatable by wrapping a story around it. You know, oh, you see, it's, it's, it seems bad, but it's really good. Or, oh, it, it looks good, but it's really bad. Or, you know, or we give it a classification. It's inevitable, you know. It's the way life is, you know. It's, it's needed or whatever, whatever it is that we're saying. All of that is just, you know, it's just, it's just stories. Now, there's nothing wrong with stories, and if we manage to wrap it in a positive story that makes us feel good, that's fine. But it's not really what it really is, you know. That's just a way of making it more palatable. The fact is change really isn't good, and it's not bad. It just kind of is, you know. It's just a part of life. And so maybe I think that our task is not so much to try to classify change or to shape it into what we want, but just to decide how we're going to respond to it. You know, because how we respond to it, that we have total control over. So it's kind of interesting, actually, that, that a situation of ultimate powerlessness, you know, when, when something is happening that I don't have any control over, the group has decided to do one thing and I wanted them to do another, you know, at the same time, it's an opportunity for ultimate freedom because I actually get to decide how I respond. I can like it, I can not like it, I can fight back, I can not fight, not fight back. So change can be the occasion for two totally opposite experiences, disempowerment and empowerment. It's up to you. That's pretty interesting. And I think what it really comes down to, anyway, for me, is that you know, we can rant about change and whether it's good or bad or how we're going to resist, but really... The question is, how much are we willing to be transformed? How much are we willing to be changed? You know, how much are we willing to let go of our own individual agendas and really be a part of something that's bigger than us? How much are we going to let go of the fiction that we know what's best, really? I mean, the thing is, when we insist on our own agenda in the face of some sort of change and movement that's going around us, you know, we remain separate. But what if we're willing to say, okay, I'm going to stay on the ride here, see where it takes me, and I'm going to see if there's people who are sitting next to me who will hold my hand. I mean, to me, I mean, what's the purpose, right, of gathering in a, in a community like this? You know, it's not just for fellowship and support, though that's certainly a part of it. And it's not just about changing the world for the better, though that's a part of it too. You know, I think underneath all of that, coming to a community like this is about being transformed. It's about walking out differently than the way you walked in. So if we're not open to that transformation, to that change that comes from being together, well, you know, what kind of relationships really can we have with each other or with life? The only way to have aliveness, I think, in life is to have that openness to being changed. And then, who knows? Who knows? 
So I'll, I'll end my rant with the final five shots here. Although I have to say it feels a little different than when I started. 46. Life really will not be the same after today. 47. But what adventures lie in front of us? Well, no one really knows. 48. Trusting the process is a, it's a moment-by-moment thing. But maybe it brings its own rewards. 49. The voices of fear are not our friends. 50. Well, maybe it really is, as Alan Watts put it in another quote. The only way to make sense out of change is to plunge into it, move with it, and join the dance. So may it be so for you and your loved ones in this beautiful community that you're all a part of today and tomorrow and always. Thank you. Thank you.